Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice for Thursday, December 7th, 2017. Hard to believe this is our 20th episode. Time flies. It's been fun. Our sponsor for this episode and for all Voice First FM programming is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for some of the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. Please check them out. They are doing incredible work. It's been a great year for Bob Sulzberg and Voice XP. They just got back from reInvent, uh, where they set the world on fire out there. Check them out if you're looking for someone to help you with uh, developing an Alexa skill or a Google Home action. Very pleased to be joined today by Kathy Pearl. Kathy, say hello. Hello. Thank you very much for setting this time aside. Kathy is Vice President of User Experience at Sensely. Kathy, tell us a little bit about what Sensely is and what you guys do. Sure. So Sensely, we have uh, an app with a virtual nurse avatar. And the purpose of this app is to help people with chronic health conditions, um, things like congestive heart failure. And you can speak to the avatar and the avatar speaks back. So you'll end up having a conversation about your health. Very cool. And Kathy is also the author of Designing Voice User Interfaces, which is published by O'Reilly Media. You need to go buy this book. The link is available on the thisweekinvoice.com page. Definitely check that out. Kathy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Of course. And we've got a interesting group of stories here as we approach the end of the year. So story number one is our voicebot.ai story of the week. So if you have been listening to this show, you know that every week for some time, we've been doing a voicebot.ai story of the week. Uh, We love the work that Brett Kinsella is doing over there, really sourcing some great information for the voice first movement. The story this week is how Amazon and Google continue their skirmish that threatens as we head into 2018 to turn into all out war. Google has pulled YouTube from the Echo Show again, and you need to read this article. It really lays it out well. So a few weeks back, or maybe a couple months back, uh, Google pulled YouTube from the Echo Show, and then Amazon came up with some workaround. (laughs) It came up with some workaround for it, and it sort of worked again. And then now they've pulled that workaround, if I'm understanding the article correctly. And in addition to that, they pulled YouTube from the Fire TV now in this case, in response, in their words, to Amazon pulling several Google products from their store and just doing some shenanigans with how some of the products are labeled and some other stuff that's mentioned in the article. Kathy, my question for you is, Who is the loser here? Is it Google? Is it Amazon? Is it both and everybody else? And how do you see this playing out as we head into 2018? I think the real loser is the consumer. Um, I mean, the Echo Show being visual and what is the primary way these days that people watch videos on YouTube? So it's the people who own an an Amazon show who really lose out here. I I can sort of understand Google's point of view in that they want to protect one of its most valuable assets. I mean, YouTube is a huge revenue generator. Um, but in the end, I think they're hurting themselves because who is going to be angry at them, the people who own the show? I am really curious to see how this is going to play out. Uh, will they reach some kind of agreement? Will they bow to consumer pressure? Um, 
I think the show has, it's not like it's equivalent to say Google deciding not to show YouTube on iPhones, which would be such a huge outcry that um, I'm sure that they would um, cave. But with a smaller product like that, I think they're testing the waters to see if they can get away with it. And I don't know what's going to happen. Um, hopefully they can resolve this and, and give people YouTube back. It's a convenient excuse for Google to pull YouTube from the Echo Show, you know, that that Amazon has delisted some of their products and some of this stuff. But to me, the reality is that anything Google can do to slow down Amazon's relentless march to voice victory, they probably, I mean, I'm sure they've had discussions saying it's not that bad of an idea. But the thing about it is that Amazon's not going to be stopped. I mean, I think you're, you're, tempting Amazon to create a YouTube alternative, at least in my opinion. I don't know. I, I think that you, I think Google is making a big mistake. Yeah. I mean, that's a good um, point you made that maybe their long game is, is not to uh, always have YouTube uh, not available, but that's, it's to slow them down because we certainly heard the rumors when we talked about this last time uh, that Google was going to create their own version of the show. And so until they get that out, maybe they're just trying to slow it down. Um, it does seem hard to believe they would keep it off forever, but we'll see. And Amazon, uh, you know, the, the part I don't blame Google about is when Google did this the first time, the proper response, in my opinion, is not for Amazon engineers to go see how clever they are and, you know, create some workaround. It was time to, to have a negotiated solution then. And so then, you know, Amazon figures out this back end, hey, we can sort of make this still work, and Google brings the hammer down again. That's Hopefully they do uh, take the time now to negotiate this thing out because, Kathy, I completely agree with you. The consumer loses on this. Uh, my six-year-old enjoys watching his uh, Daniel Tiger, you know, and some other videos that are on YouTube um, on the Echo Show and hasn't been able to do that. Really, since the first time we talked about this story, I think he sort of gave up on it, but... Um, yeah, I completely concur. Hopefully they figure this thing out. Moving on to story number two, and this is a another glimpse into the future, I think. If story number one is a glimpse of what's to come in 2018, I think story number two is as well. This story is written by a guy named Adam Clark Estes, uh, and it's called Don't Buy Anyone an Echo. And it caught my attention you know, every week or every other week or so, uh, we talk about a story that has to deal with privacy, and privacy is going to continue to be a huge concern. But the difference between this story and so many others is the tone that the author takes, a really aggressive tone saying, essentially, you all are fools for participating in this market, patronizing any company, making one of these devices. It really caught me by surprise. And Kathy, uh, I want to get your take on this article and if you agree with anything that was in it uh, and how it struck you. Yeah. Um, also, this is tagged in, Gizmo in Gizmodo, uh, part of their Grinch Week <laughs> posts. So it's definitely... <laughs> I, I must have missed that, but uh, they hit that out of the park. <laughs> I, think, I think that was definitely... Uh, a key factor. But yeah, I, I saw this article on, on Boing Boing, actually, Cory Doctorow linked to it. And I was definitely taken aback um, by it. I think one thing I want to reiterate is that's important for everyone to understand, of course, is that this, this idea of the always on, always listening, it's important to remind everyone that 
devices like the Echo and the, the Home are not always sending what you say to the cloud. Um, they're only listening on the locally on the device for the wake word. And until they recognize the wake word, nothing you say gets transmitted. Um, that being said, sometimes the wake word does get activated when you don't realize it because it thinks you said the wake word, but you didn't. Um, when that happens, the light does turn on. So if you're looking at it, you'll notice, um, but sometimes you're not looking at it, but you'll get another clue because you'll finish speaking and you'll either hear, sorry, I couldn't help you with that or the boop boop when it didn't understand you. So you'll quickly know that something you said that you didn't intend perhaps did get sent. Um, Amazon allows you on their app to see exactly what is streamed to the cloud and it allows you to delete those things right off the bat. So they try to protect you that way. Generally speaking, I don't worry about it too much. On the other hand, um, is it theoretically possible to hack such a device? Sure. They point to a story uh, from Wired where a guy physically hacked an Echo to stream the audio to a local server all the time. But it's also possible to hack your phone, which has a microphone. So if you're comfortable carrying your phone around in your pocket, I don't see why these devices are any different. Um, and that's coming from someone, you know, I am protective about my privacy in certain ways. I don't give out my phone number when I go to the store and they ask me for it. If I stay at a hotel uh, near Heathrow and they demand my passport, I push back. You know, so I'm, I'm not somebody who doesn't care about privacy, but these devices don't particularly worry me. One reason that might be is because I spent a long time in the IVR world um, dealing with these phone systems, and I saw how we handled the data it was anonymized, it was used for analysis purposes only, and then it was deleted. And I trust that these companies, Amazon and Google, are doing the same thing. But I think one of the interesting things about the article that I found kind of funny was this whole rant about these things don't do, you know, you don't need these anyway. You can do everything you can do on these devices uh, on your phone. So it's just kind of a, a funny little fad that you just don't need. And it's not wrong. But the whole frictionless nature of these devices means I don't do these things on my phone. Um, I just got a new phone, a uh, Samsung Galaxy S8. First, I turned on the facial recognition to unlock. That didn't work very well. So then I switched to the fingerprint, which still doesn't work very well. And I am not going to go pick up my phone, unlock it, and ask the weather. But I will do that with my Echo. Same thing with asking questions, other things like that. Um, so sure, you don't need it. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a lot of things. But it's, it's still a very useful um, gadget in our lives. Yeah, saying that there's alternatives is, it's great for you to point that out because that, I thought that that was another low light in this piece. I didn't like this piece at all. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I also found it even more objectionable when I went to the author's Twitter account and I saw that uh, among a bunch of other stuff he was saying, he never tweeted this article out. He tweeted, you know, he's tweeted out many of his other articles and this one, for some reason, he decided not to. And I, hmm. I sort of commend that decision. Um, but uh, I nearly tweeted something at him. I, I'm glad I didn't. But um, as far as there being alternatives, I mean, sure, I can go out and I can wash my car every day and uh, or I can take it to the car wash. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, I don't go to the owner of the car wash and say, you've got an idiotic business because mm -hmm. I can do this myself. Right. Um, you know, and I could just go on and on. Um, I think that the use cases for how voice technology and voice first technology improves our lives and improves society are, uh, you know, pretty well established at this point. I mean, um, you know, go tell 
somebody that has trouble moving around and, and has come to rely on their Echo or their Google Home device, that it's really not that important. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It is a fair point to talk about privacy in general, um, which is, it's true. As a society, we are giving out more and more of our, our data when we use Facebook, when we use Twitter, when we use anything. This information is being looked at in, in some way by these big corporations and usually used, I think, mostly for advertising, but some people think for more nefarious purposes. And I guess my point is that I don't view these devices as any worse than these other things. So if, you're, if you are a person who's willing to use Gmail and Facebook and, and websites and your phone, then I don't see this as any greater risk and I see a lot of benefit. But it's true that just in general today, we are making a trade to use these products and we are giving up a little bit of, of information to do so. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Privacy is key. And I think I take the opposite view of you, Kathy, that, you know, I I have sort of given up on (laughs) having a lot of privacy, (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, I do carry around a smartphone. You know, I remember vividly reading an article about how people found out Samsung TVs were listening to you. And I was reading that in my office and where I have and had just put up a huge Samsung TV that was that exact model. (laughs) So I just laughed, laughed at that. But, um, you know, if people want to get into your life, they've got a lot of avenues to do that. And I, and I think the, um, two things about the privacy issue. Number one is really the, the, it ties back to the first story pretty well, because as we enter into 2018, we're coming off of 2017, where a lot of naysayers about voice were proven completely wrong. That, you know, people say that this is a fad, people saying that this is um, not going to last and stuff like that. I think that we've seen enough to know that voice technology is here to stay. And so the stakes are really high for Amazon, Google, you know, Apple's trying everything they can do to, to get you know back up to speed, and some of the other companies, Samsung, Alibaba, all these others, and Microsoft. And the moment that somebody finds out that one of these companies is using data coming off of their voice technology, you know, the voice hardware in an inappropriate way, um, I mean, that's lights out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, people will start stop buying that product immediately and switch to, you know, another one. So there's a lot at stake for, for doing that. The other thing I do want to throw in here too, in a rare smart moment for us, we lined up um, the FTC really early on to speak at the Alexa conference about privacy. Mm. Um, And so we've got one of the head attorneys at the FTC coming to speak specifically about privacy with regards to Alexa and voice enabled devices. So it's an appropriate time for a inappropriate shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> Alexa conference is coming up. Check it out at alexaconference.com. But yeah, this will be, uh, this is another one of these um, uh, foreshadowing stories of what's to come in 2018. Any closing thoughts on that? Just, I always like to give the message to any designers and developers out there, please, to your point, we, we don't want to put a stain on voice systems. If you're designing or developing one, make sure you treat data in a, in a good private way. It's anonymized. You don't keep it around. Um, you don't do anything bad with it. Let's not use, lose users' trust. That's great. And I, I appreciate you saying that. And hopefully people take that to heart. Moving on to story number three. From CNBC, Alexa users, quote, buy more stuff as brands begin to figure out how to leverage voice-first platforms for commerce. So Alexa's voice platform provides a powerful marketing channel for brands to sell direct. 
Lee wrote in the notes. So this Mizuho's securities analyst uh, was writing about this. And I found this really interesting, just how far we've come. I included the story primarily just to show how far we've come. Um, it's a very positive statement on Alexa, but I think it's a very positive statement for voice technology in general that it wasn't too long ago. I mean, you know, half a year ago, a year ago, where you were seeing articles and people saying the exact opposite. No one's ever going to trust these devices to, to buy stuff through them. And now we've got, you know, an analyst at, at a, you know, off of Wall Street saying the exact opposite. So, Kathy, my question for you is sort of in general, how did this article strike you? And for you personally, do you feel comfortable using like an echo or voice technology for commerce? Or do you think there's still a ways to go? It took me a while to be comfortable ordering anything on my Amazon Echo, and I'd owned it for quite a while. Um, and I still don't really do very much, but I use it for reordering things like cat food. I think, I mean, on the one hand, uh, people who buy an Amazon Echo are probably, a lot of them are probably Amazon Prime people who are buying stuff anyway, so it doesn't really shock me that they would be buying more things. But I think it is this interesting new paradigm where we're still in early days as as these companies try to figure out how can they do this. One thing that really puzzled me, though, about the article, and they talk about how it's going to be this great platform for cross-selling and all those things. They talked about the Pampers app, for example, that they have an Alexa app that can advise you as to which diapers to buy and things like that. And who's going to invoke a Pampers skill? I mean, I just find it uh, still kind of, I don't know how this is going to work. How are they going to push the idea of buying other things through the Echo. Um, to me, that still has yet to be figured out. Now, there is this new notification feature, and I really, really, really hope that retailers don't abuse it. Personally, for example, I wouldn't mind it if when it was about time to order cat food again, I got a little reminder notification. That wouldn't bother me. But it would bother me to hear from other retailers or even the same retailer with other sort of promotional things to buy and ads and things like that. I would really, really dislike that. So, I think it is a fascinating new channel, but to me, I still don't know how exactly they're going to accomplish this in a good way. It is interesting to wonder sort of the workflow by which habits get broken. My wife handles the majority, she'd probably say the entirety of purchasing for our household. And she loves using Alexa. You know, she's not in, you know, she's an attorney. She doesn't do any of this stuff. Uh, you know, doesn't follow the technology nearly as closely. But she has taken to Alexa. She loves using it for music. And, you know, her and my son and myself uh, use it for weather and news and some other things. But she has not used it for commerce yet. And I think that that day is coming. I think it's a matter of Amazon partnering with some of these companies and Pampers is a great example. Somehow they've got to come up with a way and you've seen them experiment. I've, I've seen them experiment a little bit with stuff like this and they've marketed a little bit in some of their ads, but they've got to nudge people into taking that first step into the water of using um, these devices for commerce. And I think those dash wands were a good first step where you like you, whatever that thing is where you push the button to reorder product. Mm, mm -hmm. um, that was a good like step into the, the baby pool on this thing. Even though it wasn't voice, um, you're still ordering something sight unseen, right? I mean, I can tell you for 100% fact, if my wife knew that she could use Alexa to save 10% 
on paper towels. She would do that. So I think to, to take the next step, there's just got to be the right inducements uh, to get people to break their habits um, and then marketing those inducements. Yeah. I mean, the reorder to me is the perfect use case that makes sense. That's certainly how I got into it. Sure. Um, I have yet to browse for a new product, even something generic like paper towels. And I find it hard to feel like that would be a comfortable shopping experience to just via voice browse products and choose when to order. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Well, we're not either, but I think that, uh, you know, as we look at the 2018, this is, um, this is something that, you know, I'm sure Amazon's having meetings on top of meetings about it, as well as Google, as well as everybody else is, is figuring out, um, there's a lot of money at stake at cracking the code of how to get people comfortable with voice commerce. But as this article indicates, we're, we're well on our way there. Moving on to story number four, which is a two-parter. And I want to preface this by saying, I've noted on this show and a couple other shows before, the very first people that I knew who bought an Amazon Echo were my parents. And that in and of itself is fairly surprising, um, considering their you know, general absence of technological knowledge. <laughs> I'm sure they're listening to this. They're going to they're gonna have something to say to me. I just, lost, I just lost a couple of Christmas presents there. Um, but, uh, you know, so they were the first people I knew that had one. And then it was a couple, it was, I guess, a week, week and a half ago over Thanksgiving or somewhere around there. My mom tells me I'm going to have to get rid of my Alexa now. And never mind that it's not an Alexa, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to have to get rid, rid of my Alexa now. Um, and I said, Why? And she's like, did you see the, the story about it? Um, and sure enough, um, the way all these, you know, you reach a certain age, I guess you get all of your news from Facebook. <laughs> she had seen a, um, a story on Facebook about somebody who had asked Alexa about Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it said it, it's a fictional character. And, and I just thought, hmm, Okay. So I just sort of ignored that, realizing that if I if that there was something, you know, uh, I knew that she wasn't making it up, but I just sort of didn't think any more about it uh, at the time. And then I saw another article about it this week, which I've linked to in the show notes. And what has apparently happened is um, uh, the person who's mentioned in the article is a fairly well-known conservative rabble rouser. But he, he wouldn't be one to lie about this. So what it, what it appears like what has happened is Indeed, at some point in the past, if you asked Alexa, who is Jesus Christ or who is Jesus, it's, it gives you this answer that somebody came up with about it's a fictional character, so on and so forth. Um, and now they have changed that. And apparently this is documented as well. They've changed it pretty quickly after this whole news story surfaced to just link to the Wikipedia page. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a big free speech person. You know, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and say Amazon should have said one thing or not said another. But um, I find this super interesting that uh, we're getting to the point now with voice technology where uh, we've penetrated deep enough into the culture to where these sorts of things matter. And Kathy, I, I want to just get your thoughts on on this story and I, and just your thoughts on, um, you know, I think that this ties into trust, you know, uh, people trust Amazon so much. And, um, I think that they have been able to successfully sort of navigate this, but in the future with search, 
there's going to be so many competing interests trying to make these devices say certain things when you res- when you ask them a question. And I see this tying into that as well. I, I guess my question for you is, how does this story strike you? And do you think that th- this is just a, a momentary blip on the radar? Or do you think that this is a sign of things to come in terms of people arguing about what these voice assistants say when you ask them a question? I found this article or this video very interesting because it was something I hadn't really spent that much time thinking about. Um you know, there were a bunch of people saying, oh, this is a hoax, this is a hoax they used. You know, you can use that command, Simon says, to have your Echo say anything you want. Like, Kathy is awesome. Um, I could have the Echo say that. Is it a hoax? I mean, who can say? Um, the one thing that made me a little bit suspicious was the answer to who is Muhammad, because Alexa just started saying these long sentences with no punctuation, which was a little odd for for content. Um But on the other hand, I could perfectly believe that it's not a hoax. Um, The thing is, I think that people don't necessarily realize is that not everything that comes out of one of these assistants is this carefully crafted, curated wording. Um, A lot of it is automated. You know, it goes to Wikipedia a lot. So it wouldn't have surprised me if the the thing about Jesus as a fictional character wasn't something somebody deliberately, that, that kind of made me kind of roll my eyes that it's Amazon pushing the far left liberal agenda that somebody deliberately put that in. And I don't believe that, but I could see that somebody, um, some automated thing picked this, a source that wasn't the appropriate source for this question. And we're going to see that in the future as well, because as these assistants, they have more and more responses, not everything will be vetted by three humans and and signed off on and all that. So I can see it happening again. I remember way back in the IVR days, I was working on a mail system. This was before smartphones and we were working with Yahoo to have, allow people to have their email read with text-to-speech over the phone, which you, if you, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, but we had put in some little things like if you had over 100 message, new messages, the voice talent said, oh, my God, you've got over 100 messages. And one of my coworkers said, you really should take that out because some people are going to be offended by that. And I was like, oh, really? So being one of those liberals in Silicon Valley, um, I think it's an important reminder that technology is not neutral because the responses that we're putting in are from humans, whether it's on purpose or not, it still comes from a human. And we need to keep that in mind um, when we're, we're pushing content. So I'm sure this will, will come up again. I'll also say, you know, this video, the guy made uh, a racist comment about, uh, you know, how many people in Black Lives Matter have stolen an Echo. So I don't really want to give this guy much of a platform. Um, I didn't see that. Okay. I didn't, yeah. I did not see that. It did. I watched the whole 12 minute thing. Um, so Okay. Yeah. So not my favorite guy there. Yeah. Well, no, I, and I, you know, uh, I'm not any sort of fan myself. I just have, I mean, I know who he is, but, uh, I did not watch the whole video. So I guess that tells you something about my level of interest. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, interesting si- you know, this issue, uh, this particular episode, I think is another sort of foreshadowing thing. I think we're going to run into this again and again and again and again and again. There's so many companies, everyone's going to come to rely on this technology. And uh, it's not hard to sort of brainstorm some examples. You know, if you're using, I can imagine, um, you know, asking Alexa, tell me about some company. And, and then it gives the Wikipedia, you know, if it gives the Wikipedia back, maybe the Wikipedia says the company's out of business. 
and the company's in business. And then the company loses business because of that. The company misses out on a contract. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, um, or if people become aware that uh, Alexa, uh, and I'm just using Alexa here, it could be any, any of these things. Uh, somebody asked Siri, you know, tell me about Russia or tell me about, one of the, an example I've used on, on, on a previous show is who is the front runner for the Democratic uh, nominee for president? And it gives some answer, you know, from Wikipedia and then, you know, and people don't like the answer, you know, for different reasons. And then even worse, somebody figures out that it's pulling from Wikipedia and then they just go into Wikipedia and edit it. And no one sees it. And for three or four straight days, it's given out some like damaging wrong answer. Um, I think we're going to run into this again and again, because you're right. These There's so much surface area to these voice assistance that humans can't touch at all. So yeah, I think this is a pretty good sign of things to come. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's this sort of similar problem to what search engines are already facing. Uh, when you do a search on Google or whatever, they've also had to deal with this problem where maybe the first result that turns up with their automated algorithm is not the one they want to be shown on the front page. So they've had to deal with that as well. The other thing that was interesting in the video, um, the, uh, he asked, I forget who it was, is so-and-so, um, so-and-so dead? Oh, it was, it was about Bruce Jenner's a, a dumb comment. Um, but anyway, the response that Alexa gave was something like, as far as I know, he is still alive or she is still alive. And I thought that was a really interesting hedge that they're kind of saying, well, my information shows that they're still alive, but I'm not, you know, the all-seeing, all-knowing. So I thought that was an interesting wording choice on Amazon's part. That's very interesting. Uh, so that was in the video with the, with uh, the conservative guy in this piece. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. I don't envy their task. They've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's not an easy thing to solve. Yeah. They, uh, so I think, you know, the bottom line, as far as I'm concerned, is just taking a deep breath and realizing that, um, it, you know, it's just another piece of evidence that we live in the so-called information age, but, you better better verify the information coming at you uh, before you do too much with it. The second article that's part of this two-parter story on This Week in Voice, I found it to be an interesting yin-yang with the first one. It's seven fun Christmas things to do with Alexa. And it's a really fun article. I encourage people to read it and check it out. The one that stood out to me, the one that I know we'll be using in our household is tracking Santa. Um, I think that's exciting. And I know Google Home's got a track Santa application as well, Google Home Action that they've come up with. I guess my question for you, Kathy, on this is, uh, is this sort of the way things are going to go is companies and brands figuring out how they can provide, you know, fun stuff to do at holiday seasons uh, to get in front of customers? How do, what were your thoughts as you looked at this? Yeah, I mean, I like the idea that these companies are, are adding seasonal uh, things such as this. My favorite was probably the Christmas sounds. Um, I thought that was interesting, including what happens when you say, uh, Alexa, stop. Uh, we also found one on Google Home uh, that was called Call Santa, where you can get connected to Santa's workshop um, and have a conversation with Santa. That was my, my son enjoyed that one. One of the things that struck me about this, though, in particular, it's not necessarily Christmas specific, is that this, it's back to that whole fundamental problem of discoverability. So I asked for one of these Christmas skills. I didn't say it right. And so uh, Alexa said, oh, do you mean this one or that one or the Christmas gifts one? 
which is not mentioned in the article. So I was like, oh, Christmas gifts, that sounds interesting. So I tried to enable that skill. I, I couldn't get it to enable. I looked online and found a Christmas gift skill. I couldn't, still couldn't enable it, even though I said exactly what was on the screen. You know, how are you going to even tell somebody else like, oh, you can ask Alexa to recommend Christmas gifts, but you have to give them that exact sequence of words in order to invoke it. And this is still this fundamental problem. You know, we've got 25,000 skills. How many do you use? You know, I use one or two at the most because I can never remember how to invoke them. And this is going to continue to be a problem for, for quite a while. That being said, the beauty of these systems, on the other hand, is this fact that sometimes it does work to spontaneously ask for something. I mean, we did it for Christmas music on December 1st, which in our household, we did not listen to any Christmas music before December 1st. Um, we just said, hey, Alexa, play some Christmas music. And, and it worked. I didn't have to think about what's the skill. I even said, I didn't really like the songs that were playing. I said, Alexa, play some different Christmas music. And it switched to a different channel of music. So that kind of stuff is so cool when you can ask for something and it, and it works. But on the flip side, it's so hard to find and to know and to remember all these other skills. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And um, discoverability in the context of seasonal skills or actions, it just raises the urgency all the more, right? Because you only have a finite amount of time to, to make hay with, with those skills and to get utilization out of it. Yeah, I think discoverability is another thing as we head into 2018. It's uh, you know, a big, big problem for, for people to try to solve. Christmas music has been blaring in our house since after Thanksgiving as well. And thank you for not playing it before Thanksgiving. That's uh, demonstrably too early. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're in complete agreement on that. Yeah, no, this will be something to watch. I, I totally agree and actually had not really thought about the, the discoverability aspect of it, but you're, you're right on the money with that. And I appreciate I, you saying that. I think, I think the only skill I can ever remember how to invoke is meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Moving on to story number five. This is an interesting one too. It's from Mashable. And I encourage people to, to read it. And, and there's a video with this that people should check out too. This dad says that Google Home helped his son, who has some language acquisition issues, to say his first word. And then I included a little bit of an additional commentary from a parent blog that sort of shaded it a little bit more. And I, I thought it was interesting. You know, you had uh, predictably some people saying, you know, how unfortunate it is that Google is somebody's first word. I I thought that that paled in comparison to just the overall outcome of the of the uh, the child, you know, being helped with his language. But Kathy, my question for you is: Did you see this as a positive story? Did you see it as a negative story? And do you agree with me that this is a sign of things to come with voice assistants being more and more useful to helping children learn not just language but all sorts of stuff? Yeah, I saw it as a positive. I mean, you can certainly take the cynical view like, oh, Google, the big corporation that's taking over our world and how terrible it's the first word of this child. But I, I don't I don't see it that way. Um, technology certainly has its downsides, you know, make no mistake, but it also has its 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 bonuses. This article reminded me recently, I heard an excerpt from um, Susan Etlinger's TED Talk. Uh, she was talking about her son who was diagnosed as autistic and didn't speak. Um, and one day when he was four, she found him in front of the computer typing into the Google search box, searching for words like school and bus. And they didn't even know that he could read or spell or do any of that stuff. And 
again, you might be cynical, like, oh, it's Google. But I mean, it's 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 amazing. What, what an amazing way that they were able to sort of un- find out that he had this whole inner world, all this thinking going on they didn't even know. So I love to see these examples where voice or other technology is, is benefiting people. Someone, um, one of the comments that was posted in the article from, from Reddit was talking about autistic children and how uh, they had an example of an autistic child who loved to use the echo to practice asking questions. Um, I think it can also be used uh, to help teach people who have trouble with affect, you know, understanding other people's emotion. Um, we can use these tools to help people learn that in a safe way. Another story was about um, someone talking about his elderly father who needed a lot of help, but really had a lot of pride and didn't want to bother his kids, but was happy to ask Alexa for help. So I think uh, on, the, on the whole, I see this as a very positive story. Yeah, I do too. And, um, and I was a child that didn't speak until very late, till you know, I think late three. Mm. You know, um, Interesting. Yeah. And um, I think my parents would have loved to have had this type of technology around because my parents thought I would never talk. I mean, that, that was a distinct possibility. Um, Here boy, you are on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> boy, were they wrong. Uh, um, and uh, sometimes they wish they could uh, put the genie back in that bottle. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, this I, I found this to be very exciting. Just the story on its face, but also the glimpse into the future of all the different use cases, and you named some of them, which I thought were great, of how t- this sort of technology can improve people's lives. That's really what all this is about. Nobody cares about this technology unless it's improving people's lives and not making them worse. There's no evidence that suggests that if the first word out of your mouth is Google, that you're going to go on and have a bad life or something. <laughs> so, you know, I think that that is a very cynical view. I, I thought this was overwhelmingly positive, and I look forward to a 2018 of seeing a lot of different, you know, some predictable and some very surprising ways that this technology helps children. I think it's exciting. Moving on to story number six, it's almost become customary to include some sort of Apple postlude uh, as the uh, last story of uh, This Week in Voice, but this one is actually not bad. It's called Sometimes It's Hard to Be Apple Siri. And this article, which is written by you know a predictably pro apple person does a very good job of explaining why it's not all doom and gloom for Siri as we enter 2018 Kathy I want to ask you number 1 if you agree with that premise and then number 2 from what y'all do at Sensely and just sort of your uh, vantage point from a professional uh level what is it going to take in 2018 for Apple um, to get to the point where it's on par with Google and Amazon as technologies that, you know, for example, Sensely views as essential to its voice-first strategy? Gosh, yeah. I, one of the things I think about with Siri is the fact that they were sort of the first virtual assistant, voice assistant out of the gate, and they had a, a tough road. Um, you know, when they came out, Siri was really designed to do about 15 or 20 things really well, but it, it was pushed out as a, how can I help you assistant? And it failed in a lot of ways, but it, they were the early, the early adopters. Siri has got a uphill battle to sort of gain back its reputation because I think it has a lot of, a lot of people have negative feelings about it because when they used it the first time, it didn't work correctly. And so they've abandoned it. And so to get over that is really tough. Whereas when you look at something like Echo or, or Home, especially Echo, because it was the first of its kind, 
people, it, it was, it was sold as something like, look, you can use this to play music and, and maybe a couple other things, but that's it. And so when it turned out, it could do other things. Um, and also, first of all, it could do the things like play music really, really well. So it built up some trust. And then when people found out, oh, it can do these other things, they were delighted because it was an add-on, not like Siri where they expected more. So it's, it's tough, I think, for Apple to get past that. What can, what can they do? I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, just continue to improve their technology and somehow they're just going to have to get their reputation back and convince enough people that, that Siri works really well to, to get that, that spread around. The article, uh, I... I would really like to see more details about the study because I found some of the results kind of confusing. Um, for example, they didn't really explain how do they ask people about satisfaction. They said Siri had the highest satisfaction rate at, at something like 65%. And what does that mean? Um, and 65% being the highest is also kind of sad that that's out of all the assistants they tried, that was the highest satisfaction rate. Um, that, that's not so great. Uh, and I was, I was quite frankly surprised that Siri was ranked higher in satisfaction rate to the, the Amazon Echo and the Google Home. Because personally, I find those much more satisfying to use than either my Google Now on my phone or my Siri. Um, I haven't used Cortana that much. So I'd like to sort of understand more details. And how did they simulate noisy environments at home, for example? What did they do for that? I also thought it was interesting how clearly some tasks are slanted to your phone assistant versus your home assistant. Things like deleting text messages, obviously that's not going to go very well on your Google Home versus your actual phone. Tasks like they asked them to multiply nine times four, and then it was ranked one through five for each assistant. How, how did they rank that? What, what did, did, it, did some of them get it wrong? I mean, what... Yeah. What was the the way they rated that? So uh, yeah, what did they do? Measure computational like response in like <laughs> exactly. milliseconds. So uh, I, I like to this 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 article left me sort of unsatisfied. I wanted to know like well, what was your methodology? How did this work? But I think it's good news for for Apple that Siri performed uh, performed as well as it did. That's true, and, and and I appreciate you pointing that out. There, the Apple Tech Press has a way of presenting things in in the you know the best possible light for the company and glossing over a bunch of stuff and uh you mentioning sat, you know this the satisfaction ratings reminds me of how in e almost i think probably every apple event that tim cook has done certainly in the last few of them he's mentioned just this totally random, you know, customer satisfaction. Like I remember him saying the customer satisfaction for iPad is 97%. Well, what is that? What? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, um, that sort of demands some further explanation or just demands completely ignoring it either way. My satisfaction uh, survey, my satisfaction with Siri is 100% because I'm very satisfied never using it. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, my wife uses it to ask uh, like sports scores and, and whether if she's on the go and stuff um, and it gives correct information. But, um, yeah, I, to me, I think um, for Siri to get back in the game, they've, they've got a tough spot, right? Because Amazon has been so successful in sort of planting the flag and saying, we run this thing, you know, and Google Home, you know, Google folks probably don't agree with that. And certainly Google has aspects and attributes that um, make it unique. But from where Apple sits, um, they're not going to catch Amazon in terms of developer relations. And Google does a good job with that too. The likelihood of having the quantity of applications for the Siri platform, you know, the likelihood of them 
matching Amazon and Google is zero. They'll never do it. So they shouldn't try. Really, to me, is the, the, the way for Apple to get back in the game is to spend some of that money they've got you know, sitting in these offshore bank accounts and go make a couple of key acquisitions of companies doing interesting things in voice technology that can then be unique to the platform mm. that will uh, require you know, people to come and, and uh, use Siri and um, continue to be um, in habit formation of, of using Siri. And so to me, that's, that's their only road out. Otherwise, they're you know, dead in the water. But that's my opinion. One other thing um, that, the, that the article briefly touches on is microphone technology. I have both a Google Home and my Android phone, and I find the voice recognition so much better on my Google Home than on my phone. Um, it recognizes me so much more often on the on the home, and a lot of that to me is down to the microphone technology. The, this far field microphone technology that these home assistants have now is really really good, and on your little phone, the microphones have not been able to to replicate the same performance. That's interesting. And I, it's definitely believable. It's interesting just to think about if, if Apple had any other name, you know, you replace Apple with, uh, I'm going to offend some companies here. You know, if, if you replace Apple with like Lenovo or something like that, some company with far less cachet, you know, and brand equity built up, I just think people would be far less forgiving of some of the stuff going on with them. Um, and it would be so just cast in such a different light. I mean, if to use this example against Svara, you used it once. If Lenovo had Siri, we wouldn't even be talking about it. You know what I mean? It would just mm. be like, okay, well, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but uh, because it's Apple, we view them in a different way. I, as I've said before, I, I'm hopeful that they commit philosophically to uh, voice-first technology in much more profound fashion in 2018 than they did in 2017. But Time will tell. Kathy, thank you very, very much for being part of this with us today and for giving us some of your time and sharing your insight and expertise with us. It's greatly appreciated. My pleasure. It was great to talk. For This Week in Voice, episode 20. Thank you for listening. And until next time.